that's totally true. But all of that is negative. All of that is a removal of something. What about what happens after death is defeated, after Satan is bound, and after sin is no more? What happens then? And the answer is in this miracle. Jesus came to restore man to full life, to joy, to celebration, to happiness even. And wine is that. John in John 10 says the thief, Jesus is speaking, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they may have it what? Abundantly. Beyond measure. More than you need. More than is absolutely necessary. Excessively. Look at verse 7. I, 6 rather. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Again, if we're going to talk about abundantly, right? It is the kind of filling that isn't like just enough. It doesn't cover all that's just what you need. It's the kind of filling that he wants to do where when you put the ladle in, you have to be careful or else it'll spill over the sides. That's the kind of abundant life he came to bring. So his first for his first miracle, Jesus chooses to illustrate this life by supplying 150 gallons of the best wine that history has ever known. And it's abundance, but it's also more than that too. What does the master of the feast say? Let's keep going. Verse 8. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you... You've kept the good wine until now. In other words, this is that upside down backwards thing that Jesus does. This is the reversal. This is a, a hint at that reversal, that tremendously great reversal that Jesus affects on the cross. This wedding feast points to the gifts that God wants to give to you on the cross. And this is what wine is all about. And this is the fun thing. Wine as a symbol, wine as a reality, is about joy. It's about abundance. It's about happiness. It's about the best blessings in God's creation. And the funny thing is, if you stop and you step back away from this story for just a minute, and you look, survey the whole Bible, it just pops up everywhere. It's, it's crazy just some of the things, some of the places you find this idea in the scripture. So like the first one that, that I found that I thought I should bring to you is from Genesis chapter 27. Jacob is near his death. He would like to be blessed by Isaac. I'm sorry, Isaac is near his death. He would like to bless Jacob. So he lays his hand on Jacob and he says, May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Psalm 23, same thing, right? In Psalm 23, when he's talking about all the things that his shepherd does for him, he does not say he gives me just enough in my cup. What does he say? 
My cup, it overflows. It makes a mess on the table. That's the picture. Or how about this one? This is from Zechariah chapter 10, starting at verse 6. Um, God is promising to restore his people. And this is what God says to him. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them and they shall be as though I had not rejected them for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. And the idea here is when Israel is restored, when God brings people back into his presence, their reaction is the same kind of reaction you have when you've had a nice big glass of wine and you're happy same thing in Ruth right the climactic moment in Ruth the moment she's finally going to approach him finally going to see whether or not Boaz will do this thing for Ruth and Naomi comes what does Naomi's advice say wait till he's drunk a little bit of wine and his heart is merry inside of him and then ask him the whole first chapter of Song of Solomon is this way. Song of Solomon is like, love is great. Love is the best. Love is even better than wine. <laughs> right? The joy, the exhilaration of it. Or how about this? I'm just going to avalanche you. Psalm 104, verse 14. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock cause plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth you cause wine to gladden the heart of men oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen his heart proverbs 3 verse 9 this is uh this one's in the uh the blue book that we're all reading together with one of the daily proverbs and it really struck me as as we're going through this this is one of the things that god promises he says honor the lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce and your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine too much wine to even store prosperity abundance life and then there's a whole nother vein of passages in the Bible about wine. And um, I don't know if this happens to you. This, this happens to me. Uh, we read through the Bible every year. The family does together. And um, every year there's, there's a couple of stories that pop out at you. And you're reading along. You understand what's going on. You understand what's going on. And then you're like, what the heck just happened? Right? This happens when you read the Bible. One of these stories shows up in uh, Genesis chapter 9. Uh, Noah is a righteous man. Noah is the only one God saves, he and his family, from the flood. Noah comes through the flood. He has faith. He's never even seen rain. The, 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 the rains come. They, they wash everybody out. They kill every living thing that walks on the earth except not Noah and not his three sons and not their wives. Eight people in all. And then the, the floodwaters recede and Noah comes out of the ark. And what's the first thing he does? Do you remember? He builds an altar. What's the second thing he does? He plants a vineyard. And he grows grapes. And he drinks wine. And then he drinks more wine. And then he drinks more wine. And he thinks to himself, is it hot in this tent or is it just me? And he takes off his shirt. 
And he drinks more wine. And now his pants are off. And then he passes out on the floor of his tent completely naked. And one of his three sons comes in. His name is Ham. He goes, <laughs> and he goes and he gets his brothers. And his brothers are like, no, this, this isn't funny. This is super embarrassing for dad, at least. And so they get a cloak and they back up and they cover his nakedness with the cloak. And when Noah wakes up, he finds out what Ham has done and he curses Ham. Not like swears at him, like curses him. Cursed be Canaan, Ham's son. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers for what he did. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be his slave. Drunkenness is the other vein. And it's interesting because this Noah story sounds an awful lot like the Garden of Eden. Drunkenness, nakedness, shame, cursing. And what man does, and we do this so well, and Noah did, is to take God's good creation, this gift that God has given that is life and abundance and, and prosperity, and to take it and to ruin it. This is sin. This is what we call sin. Because like so many of the, the gifts that we see God giving to humanity throughout the Bible, wine is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, yes, blessing and life and joy. And on the other hand, drunkenness and anger and shame and then destruction and then death if it's misused. So that the other vein of Bible readings about wine, especially you see this in Proverbs all over the place, is to warn over and over and over again, beware of wine. It lies to you. It cheats you. You drink too much of it and it turns you into an animal so that you end up fighting and biting each other. In fact, wine comes to be associated with all kinds of evils. Paul loves making lists of things, right? The, the fruit of the Spirit, that's a big list of things he loves. Galatians 5, just before that, he makes a list of all the things, all the dangers you could run into. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And he's going to throw things, you're like, yeah, that's terrible. Oh, that's awful. Ready? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and right there sitting among these lovely things is drunkenness. Or if you want a, a, if you want a different version of it or a, an illustration of it, um, just before Daniel and the lion's den, something happens. So King uh, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, is having a drinking party. And the Babylonians were good at this. They, they, they did this a lot. They're having a drinking party, and, and they're getting good and wasted. And, and Belshazzar has the great idea, you know what we should do? Why are we drinking this out of our, 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 out of our cups? Let's have somebody go get the cups that we took from the temple uh, in Jerusalem. Let's drink out of those cups. Those things are gold. 
And so the servants go and they, they get the, the cups and the plates and stuff that they had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, that they had stolen from the temple in Jerusalem. And they, they continue their drinking party with this, these cups. And what happens, you remember? All of a sudden a hand shows up, starts writing on the wall. And in their drunken fog, they're terrified. And, and they don't understand what it says. And they don't understand what it means. They know, they know it means something, obviously. And they ask everybody, what, what does this mean? He asks all his Chaldeans. He asks the magicians. Finally, somebody says, somebody should go ask Daniel what this means. Daniel comes in, looks at the wall, and goes, uh-oh. Many, many tekel person. Your days are numbered. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And your kingdom has been divided among the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel 5, 9 says, that night he dies. Belshazzar. In fact, wine, um, especially if it's drunk too much or too quickly, even becomes a punishment. A symbol of the wrath of God poured out on evil and this is particularly true in the prophets. So I could have chosen from a bunch of different passages, but I, I chose three from Jeremiah to kind of illustrate this. Jeremiah 13. Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of this land, the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will dash them one against another, fathers and sons together, declares the Lord. I will not pity or spare or have compassion that I should not destroy them. Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. A little further in Jeremiah 25. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk, vomit, fall, rise no more because the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You must drink. For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, declares the Lord of hosts. So we have these two strains. It could be a cup of joy. Or it could be an absolute disaster. And here's the thing. This, is, this side, this is what you and I deserve. We are the ones who have ignored God. We are the ones who have chosen stupid, dead stuff rather than Him. We are the ones that have drunk from what this world has to offer so deeply that we can't even see straight. And what we deserve is all of that wrath. And yet Jesus takes that cup of destruction from you and he drinks it himself. So this is Luke 22. Jesus finishes his last supper with his friends 
He takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes Peter and James and John in a little further. He asks them to pray for him while he prays. He kneels down, and this is the words that he prays. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What cup are we talking about? We're talking about the thing that we deserve. We're talking about the cross, the whipping, the nails, the crown of thorns, the suffocating, the things that are our just deserts for our rebellion. And just so you don't miss it, John doesn't want you to miss this. This is what John says in chapter 19. He went out bearing his own cross to the place called the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Skipping a few verses, he goes to this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put the sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. You think about this. What a symbol of sin that is. Humanity took a good thing like wine and we soured it. Just like we take the goodness of creation, the goodness of what God has worked through us, the goodness of his grace, and we utterly ruin it with our sin. And that's what we have to give to God. Sour wine, as we kill him. But he took it. And he took it for a particular reason. He took it so that you could have not that bitter cup, but a cup of blessing. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 writes to the Corinthian church, the cup, and he's talking about this cup, which is interesting, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And then in a passage that a lot of you will, it'll be very, very familiar because I read it to you every single Sunday when we prepare for communion. Jesus just goes at this. So this is John chapter 6, starting verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God, man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, drinks from that cup, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is what Jesus says. 
And every time we take the Lord's Supper, we remember that this here is a foretaste, just a tiny little sip, especially if you get those little individual cups, just a tiny little sip of the life to come. That's why we insist on it being wine, besides him telling us to. Because that's what he offered. Remember what we said where we started back at John 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. And this is what the prophet Amos says about that life to come. The life won for you by Jesus' death on the cross. This is Amos 9 that Derek read earlier. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, and the mountains will positively drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and they shall drink their wine and they shall make gardens and they shall eat their fruit. Or to go back to Jeremiah to show that he also has this idea. Jeremiah 31, he says, For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. They shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, over the wine, over the oil, and over the young of the flock and of the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. And then comes images from, I don't know, something like a wedding party. Ready? Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. And I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them, and I will give them gladness instead of sorrow. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please stand.